Hello, Microbial Nation, and welcome to another episode of the Micro Moment. Today, we are doing a special episode. It's not only our blog's one-year anniversary, but it's also Star Wars Week! It is, and I'm John, everybody. And I'm Tess. And this year for Star... Well, maybe we should talk about what we did last year for Star Wars Week. The inception of our blog occurred this time in May because I wanted to write about microbes and Star Wars because I'm an uber nerd like that. And so we talked about our tiny microbial friends, the midichlorians, which are how Jedi better sense the force. So once again, microbes are changing the world. And we also like our drinks, like how you can drink like a Skywalker with a blue and green milk. And we also divulge in the secrets of Alderanian wine, for which the Alderanians would surely kill us if they were still alive. At least we are allowing the culture to live on. Yeah, so the recipes for those are on our blog at microbigales.com. So if you're interested in either drinking like a Skywalker in blue or green milk or the Alderanian wine, go ahead and check it out on our blog. And I got to say that the Skywalker blue milk is better than the green milk, which I think Mark Hamill has also said the blue milk was better than the green milk. I personally like the green milk better, but that's just me. Oh, okay. Maybe. To each their own. And the Eldoranian wine is super refreshing in the summertime, which is just around the corner. So that's exciting. But today we're going back a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Farther than Coruscant and longer ago than the Revenge of the Sith, there came a new hope. And it wasn't Mark Hamill, and it wasn't Luke Skywalker. It was a new hope for the Clone Wars, an unexpected ragtag unit of mutant clones known as Clone Force 99 that would save the Republic from the Separatists and also give Disney another offshoot show to stream in some money. So Clone Force 99 had mutations that were different from the other clones. They weren't genetically the same, and they became known as the Bad Batch. Their Rambo-like leader, Hunter, had enhanced sensory abilities capable of tracking just about anything. Then there is Sniper, Crosshair, whose superior eyesight allowed him pristine accuracy in long-distance battles. The Heavy, known as Wrecker, was, well, he was bigger more reckless, and of course, loved wrecking stuff. And he's your favorite, right? He is, and I think I encompass him more than any of the other clones. For sure. And all good teams need a data scientist or tech person. And this honor goes to the scrawny and bronze, but not in the brain, tech. And the newest member of their crew, Echo, who started as a normal and honorable clone before the Separatists kidnapped him and turned him into a cyborg. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Either you're a Separatist or you're not a true Star Wars fan. Yeah, this is the final portion of the Clone Wars, and they are coming out with a new series called Bad Batch. But we don't want to advertise. Well, you know, go watch it, but like we're not advertising for it. This year, we want to discuss mutations. The clones were supposed to be all genetically similar to the bounty hunter they were cloned from, Jango Fett. We have clones here on Earth, too, mostly implants. For instance, grapevines are all clonal, cut from the mother vine, and grafted to a rootstock. This ensures they have all the same qualities and onological properties. Yet, in a vineyard of the same clones, we can still see differences. Differences in growth, in output, and disease susceptibility. 
We see differences in our clones as well. Commander Rex is a just and fearless leader, while Fives showed an unmatched inquisitive mind for the truth no matter how many rules he had to break. And if you don't know what we're talking about, once again, they are unique clones from the Clone Wars. Exactly. And I can't highly suggest more watching the Clone Wars. It's way better than the 1-2-3 trilogy. In the vineyard, we hypothesize that the clone's unique microbiome may play a role in the disease susceptibility. Perhaps the same can be said for the unique clones in the Clone War show. Yeah, because we like to say microbes do everything for everyone all the time. That's kind of our thing. But this is not about clonal clones. It's about those genetically modified for desirable traits. Truth is, mutations happen everywhere across the galaxy. In you, in me, in your dog, in every person you've seen today. Which may not be a lot because it's still COVID and we're harboring in our houses. But every person you've ever seen ever probably has a mutation somewhere or another. Mutations happen in three main ways. There is substitution, indels, and frame shifts. They are exactly how they sound. So a substitution merely means that one letter is exchanged for another letter. Indels are a little different. So indel stands for insert and deletions. So an insert means that it will insert some letters into a specific part of the DNA sequence it's looking at, while deletions would delete a portion. And this could be one or two or three or a huge chunk of DNA that is either inserted or deleted. And these insertions or deletions will cause what we call frame shifts. So to understand what a frame shift is, I'm just going to tell you one more piece of information. So DNA is read in words no bigger than three. So that's the extent of its vocabulary. It only reads three letters at a time. So in the instance of having an insertion or a deletion, so those three letters make up a word. And so if you insert a letter into that code of three, it will shift all the other codes of three down the line. And this can cause uh, different mutations to occur. Many mutations you will not see. Many mutations can cause death of the organism. Many mutations will do nothing at all. Sometimes we do get mutations that have desirable traits. And that is kind of the premise of the Bad Batch. Right. And we are nowhere near being able to clone a whole army to fight our wars. But we have found some ways to mutate bacteria that are really getting to the age of being able to genetically engineer microbes to produce desirable traits. So today we will highlight five microbes that have similar desirable traits to that of our Clone Force 99. Can you start us off, Tess? Certainly. So these are, I think many of the ones that we have today are not genetically modified for desirable traits because microbes already have so many desirable traits. I think we have one or two that might be genetically modified. So first off, we're going to talk about Hunter. So Hunter is the leader of the Bad Batch. And if uh, you don't know, he is a commanding officer on Clone Force 99. His special mutation is that he has enhanced senses, hence the name Hunter. He was able to feel the electromagnetic signals, giving him a reliable lay of the enemy land and the ability to sense what's coming. Kind of like a Jedi using the Force. And like any good leader, he was also charged with keeping the peace as a squadron joined forces with the regs. So the microbe that we chose that has a desirable trait similar to Hunter is our magnotactic bacteria. They create their own nano compasses that orient them to the Earth's magnetic field. 
They even have specialized compartments called magnetosomes, whose sole purpose is to create these little compass particles. They can then use hair-like appendages called flagella to swim towards more desirable environments. Whenever we have an organism that can swim towards something, we usually have the name something taxis. So in this case, when they're swimming towards a magnetic pole, we call it magnetotaxis. Or sometimes, and I think this is the much cooler name, magnetoreception. That sounds like a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something Magneto would do or something from X-Men, superhero. I don't know. It sounds cool or like spy. There are actually three different kinds of magnotactic bacteria, depending on how they create the sensory elements. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a recent research by Wei Lin and colleagues. So they sequenced 168 different genomes, which they've discovered to have magnotactic abilities. So there are, this is three times the number of genomes we had before. So they dramatically increased our knowledge on this taxa. And what they found is that the magnotactic bacteria are found in 13 different phyla. They revealed six new phyla, which have this ability, including the phylum Proteobacteria, Nitrosperia, Omnitrophica, Latospecteria, and Plantomycetes. And if you don't know what a phyla is, it's one of the highest rankings of taxonomy. So Yoda and Chewie might be in the same phylum, even though they're born on different planets and have vastly different anatomies. As you are also in the same phylum as your dog or your cat or snake or bird, it's a huge difference between bacteria. So being found in so many taxonomically different phyla suggests that magnetical reception was a desirable trait microbes acquired early on in evolutionary time. Magnotactic bacteria are found all over the world, mostly in oxygen-limited and aquatic environments. This is pretty cool, too, because when I first heard about these bacteria, it's just one bacteria. Now we're seeing in 16 different phyla. Yeah, so it's highly, it's seen all across the, the phylogenetic tree, which I think is really interesting. And I didn't have it here, but I think there are some interesting symbiosis that occur between across kingdoms of the magnotactic bacteria and some of our plankton or planktonic friends in the ocean oh, that's pretty cool yeah magnets causing a symbiotic relationship mm -hmm. so that was hunter let's talk a little bit about wrecker so like the rest of the bad batch wrecker's new to the star wars universe what we do know is he has a mutation that makes him really strong and big i mean he picked up a spaceship off of the fellow clone trooper cody which goes way beyond someone picking up a car to save a kid a spaceship is a lot yeah a lot heavier than a car yeah the comparison between the two yeah car is a lot less heavy yeah still honorable still valiant <laughs> but a spaceship damn that's a strong man <laughs> well wrecker is loud he's brash and he's always expressing his opinion on the matter he's always disappointed when he cannot fight and almost brought to tears of joy when he can blow something up despite all this he still has one fear, heights. And I can't blame him because I'm terrified of them too. Yeah, there's just so many similarities between you and Wrecker. <laughs> yep. But despite all this, Wrecker is not immortal. This can be seen in the wounds that scar his body, including the ones on the side of his face and a blind left eye. Even though he has wounds, he has shown to be able to adapt to the situation. He may knock him down, but he's going to get up again. He can't just keep him down. 
I had to. I had to put that 90s reference in there. If there is a microbe that encapsulates Wrecker, I think it's the extremophile group Archaea. Archaea are one of three domains of life that were discovered or reclassified by Carl Rose in the 1970s. Previously, they were identified as bacteria, but due to DNA sequencing, they found their DNA was very different. Species of this phyla thrive in some of the most extremes of this planet, including temperatures well over the boiling point, extreme acidic or alkaline water, and the digestive tract of many organisms, anaerobic conditions, and the desiccating environment of salt. There are even archaea that survive the extreme cold, UV radiation, and can make organic material from inorganic chemicals. Yeah, this is definitely the group that redefines the limits of our reality and teaches us what is life and where can it survive. Yeah, and it's studying this phyla where we might be able to find life off our planet. Right. Or find new life on our planet, which I think are equally as intriguing. Exactly. Now, these environments can easily cause DNA damage. So archaea have evolved to combat this in many different ways. And halophiles, or salt lovers, for example, they have a type of repair where proteins recognize an error in DNA while making uh, messages from DNA. These RNA polymerases then recruit machinery that come and repair the damaged DNA. So... These microbes may be knocked down by DNA damage, but they will get up again. They are impressively strong, resilient, and can't seem to take no for an answer by existing in the wildest of areas. They encompass record to a T. To a T. Except I doubt that they have a fear of heights. Mm, yeah, probably not. So next up is our tech microbe. Tech is the classic brains character, and he's pretty stereotypical. I always like scientists or like data scientists and shows there fit a stereotype and they never ever ever like waver from that line there's a box a scientists are put in and that's it that's where you go it's kind of like blonde girls those are the two that are always in the same box yeah yeah i guess it really works they never deviate from that formula his desirable traits include his ability to communicate in any language by using his high-tech instruments, which he invented himself with his superior intellect. He also has the skills of decoding and decrypting files, which is always useful in so many instances in the Star Wars universe. And he knows his way around computer beyond the did-you-try-turning-it-off-and-on-again tactic, which is always my go-to. In true nerd stereotypic form, Tech was also filled with fun facts that no one else in his squadron thought were fun. I feel like that's me a little bit too. I have a lot of random knowledge that just, why? Why is it there? Yeah, and not <laughs> everyone wants to hear all the time. It's like, cool fact, John. Exactly. Anyway. So what microbes do we have that are excellent communicators and are able to not only infiltrate but create a network? That, of course, goes to the wonderful fungal group of mycorrhizae. Mycorrhizae literally means fungus root, as in it infiltrates the real roots of the plant and extends the root surface reach, becoming part of the already vast network of plant roots. I always like to think of it like people love to look up, right, at the sky and all the branches and how the trees are fighting for sunlight. But I think there's also 
much higher competition below ground with all of the resources of trying to get nutrients and, and trying to get water transport system. But it actually may be that there's not too much competition down below because this mycorrhizal network will connect one tree to another tree. And there have been instances where a tree that is dying, it like almost knows that it's dying. And instead of being like, okay, I'm going to try to save myself and die anyways, it will actually send its nutrients through the network, through the mycorrhizal network and allow the other trees to take it up for their own survival. Now, who's really manipulating this nutrient exchange is still to be determined, but I like to think of it like they're giving their last breath to save the rest of the community. That's beautiful. That's something you don't think would happen in nature, but It does pop up and it's really cool, you know, to make sure that the species lives on. Yeah. So this vast connection of intertwined fungal and plants roots is called the wood wide web, which is, you know, a little play on words from the world wide web. And this is indeed a wide and dynamic network with goods constantly being exchanged across different organisms. So what is the symbiotic relationship here? The plants are giving the mycorrhizae carbon-rich sugars. And in exchange, mycorrhizae can help sequester some water for the plants. They can also start cycling phosphorus and nitrogen and other nutrients up into the plant as well. So the networks might connect every tree in the forest, some believe. And it's not just food they are communicating about. It's also... Uh, like we said, water, it can be alarms, uh, emergency notifications, and even hormones. This is a really a great network of communication. So like our magnotactic microbes, mycorrhizae fungi are found in several different fungal groups, including Lamoralis, Pazomycetes, Lidiomycetes, and Canthralis. That's a tough one to say. Yeah, fungal is so much harder than bacteria, I gotta say. Maybe it's because I'm more used to bacterial taxonomic names, but the fungal ones always trip me up. So for their commitment to communication and their great intellect in managing and creating the fast network of the wood wide web, we dub mycorrhizae the tech of our microbial Bad Batch squadron. So the next character from Bad Batch is probably the newest one, Echo. If you've watched the Clone Wars, then you are more than aware of Echo. He's one of the fan favorite clone troopers. He started as part of the Domino Squad and almost washed out, but after rallying together, the squad became troopers. He eventually joined the 501st under Anakin Skywalker and became a revered art trooper after the Battle of Kamino. He's an exemplary soldier, brave, courageous, and he showed ingenuity. Unfortunately, he died during the mission of the Separatist prison, the Citadel, or so we thought. It turns out he was severely injured and was outfitted with cybernetic implants by the Techno Union and used against his will by the Separatists to figure out what the Republic was planning. He was saved by his best friend Rex and Anakin and was able to use the implants he received to tap into the Separatist computer system, changing their plans, and helped win the Battle of Anaxis. After this, he knew he was no longer a typical clone, and he ended up joining with the rest of the Bad Batch. feel like we should have put, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. Spoiler. Well, at this point, you are now ready to watch the new Bad Batch series. <laughs> I think we've given you all the information that you need. I'll cut up. There's the synopsis. There you go. You can thank us later. No need to watch the other seven seasons. I mean, you still should, but... <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely do it. So you may ask, what microbe best exemplifies echo? Well, look no further than Agrobacterium tuminiferens. This gram-negative bacteria causes crown gall in plants or tumors that become brown and black. It does this by inserting DNA into the plant cells. This DNA, called transfer DNA or tDNA, changes the metabolism of the cell, causing the tumors to grow and forces the plant to make sugars that the bacteria specifically use. And this is probably a microbe that you've seen on your daily walks through the park. Anytime they, or not anytime, but a lot of times if you're walking through the park and you see a giant tumor-like structure on a tree, this might be due to agrobacterium tumefaciens. Yeah, it's a good chance that this is a culprit. So how does this relate to echo? Well, this bacteria is used nowadays as a genetic engineering tool for plants. Agrobacterium-mediated transformation is actually the most common method of genetically engineering for plants. The bacteria has been genetically modified so it cannot produce tumors and has a gene scientists want to add to the plant. The bacteria then inserts this gene or genes into the plant and transforms it. Just like echo, it was modified or changed and is being used by someone or a group of people to change the plan of something else, whether it's an army or an organism. Cool, which brings us to our final bad batch microbe. And this, of course, is our sniper, Crosshair. So Crosshair's genetic mutations give him eyesight off the charts. This clone feels right at home, far from battle, picking off enemies from behind his sniper scope. In fact, Hunter once said he could shoot targets from over 10 kilometers away. His mutation also gave him a bit of an elitist quality, and he can be icy and crude in his attitude, not wanting to work with the regs. You know, typical superiority complex. Oh, yeah, that's the word. Superiority complex for sure. So we don't have a microbe that has a superiority complex, but we do have a microbe with the utmost precision, laser focus, and on-mesh accuracy. We call these microbes bacteriophages. So I think bacteriophages are something that we've been talking about more and more on this show. And I think it's something that people are going to be hearing more and more about in the next decade or so, because they have a great potential to changing the course of how we treat diseases. Bacteriophages naturally prey on specific bacteria and are in constant arm race with them. If antibiotics are the nukes we send in our guts to end a war against a specific disease, then phage therapy is the sniper cleverly picking off the war criminals while preserving the community, structure, and overall function of the rest of the area. These little guys don't shoot from afar, though, like a sniper would. They are close combat fighters. This little fiery ball of proteins injects or shoots a bacteria and viral cell and hijacks the machinery for its own use. Eventually, host cell dies. And as this happens over and over and over again from phage and bacteria, eventually, all the infectious disease agents will die and the disease will disappear. This is the principle behind phage therapy. But it can be really challenging to find the right phage for the right disease because they are so specific. When we have broad spectrum antibiotics, it almost doesn't matter what you have as long as it's not resistant to that antibiotic. You can just give it to somebody and it's going to kill everything in there, including the disease agent. But when you're looking for a more pristine targeted approach, it does take a little bit more finesse 
in discovering and developing a strategy to manage the disease. So they can be highly specific and targeted, which is a great attribute for a sniper. But finding the right sniper to the right target is like finding a needle in a haystack. Except in our case, we're so big that we don't see the hay or the needle. (laughs) That's a great analogy. So phage therapy is not an approved therapy in the West. And it's the Eastern Europeans who are really charging the way in phage therapy research. And there have been, so typically when we hear about phage therapy cases today, it's in the process or in the scope of compassionate use case, which means when no other therapy is working and the patient is more or less sentenced to a very low percent survival, there's not a much big chance that they're going to survive whatever ailment they're causing we can do these things called compassionate use cases and try these more experimental approaches to save their lives. And so I want to talk about one such success story of phage therapy, which is the story of Isabel Carnell Haldaway. She was a 15-year-old who was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a nasty mucus disease that fills up your lungs. Cystic fibrosis is also accompanied by bacterial infection. Many times it's Pseudomonas aeruginosa. In Isabel's case, she also had microbacterium abscessence. So this microbacterium might sound familiar if you know a thing or two about tuberculosis or the white death. So this is a pretty hardy microbe, can cause disease. It's an opportunistic pathogen And it can be really deadly to people who are immunocompromised and have cystic fibrosis. Doctors gave Isabel less than a 1% chance of surviving. And so this opened kind of the opportunity to do a compassionate use case of phage therapy. So Graham Hatful and his colleagues developed a three-phage cocktail for Isabel. So these were very specific to the microbacterium strain that she had in her lungs. They genetically modified two of them to be a little bit more effective in killing the bacteria. The three phages were Muddy, BPs, and Zoe G, which are a little bit easier to say, I think, than some of our bacterial and fungal that we have said in this podcast so far. I agree. I don't really know how phages are named Because a lot of time people just say like, yep, it was a phage cocktail. I'm kind of interested in that. If anyone knows how are phages named? Is there a hierarchy? Let me know. I'm interested. Mm. So they gave this cocktail to Isabel. And in a few weeks, she began to get better. And that was three years ago. And by all accounts that I could find, Isabel is still doing well today. She's 18, 19 years old and, you know, just living her best life. That's a great story. Yeah. I like success stories. (laughs) They're heartwarming. You touch upon this. This is so important because like cystic fibrosis, the lungs of patients that have cystic fibrosis are just like perfect breeding grounds for microbes. Yeah. It's warm. It's gooey. It's wet. It's everything a microbe wants. Yeah. And microbacterium alone are hard to treat even with antibiotics. So this is, I mean, this is like a great promising story for the future of phage therapy. Yeah, for sure. So We'll see where phage therapy goes in the next decade, but for now, we are calling them the sniper of our bad batch of microbe squadron. So, Microbial Nation, there you have it. Five microbes that resemble the great Clone Force 99. Can you think of any other microbes that could be in the bad batch of microbes? Or what is your favorite bad batch member? You can let us know by sending us a Gmail 
at microbegales at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at microbegales. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your friends or other people that are fans of Star Wars. I'm sure they would enjoy it as well. Yeah, so go ahead and share this with your friends and let us know what you think of our Star Wars and microbe mashup two years in a row. I mean, who else has given you that? Nobody. No one. No one. All right, everyone. We hope you enjoy your May 4th and may the 4th be with you. And your microbes. Bye. Bye.